Well, we're in this series, uh, You Say You Want a Revolution. We're taking a, a, a deeper look at a prayer that, that may be familiar to you, may not. It's a prayer that Jesus gave his disciples as a pattern, if you will, or a, a template, an outline for how they should pray. And somewhere along the line, uh, somebody put the label on it, the Lord's Prayer. Jesus didn't say, hey, here's the Lord's Prayer. Um, it was someone else that, that put that label on. I, I don't know where. I'm sure I could Google that and find that out, but I don't know. But we're studying this prayer line by line because the Lord's Prayer is a revolutionary prayer. Um, every Christ follower needs to take the time to understand it deeply and then to apply it as a pattern for our own praying. Uh, I love the song we just sang. You guys like that song? I love the beginning of that, the you know, the ancient words passed down through generations, the Son of God teaching us to pray. Who better to learn to pray from than the Son of God, right? Um, so we need to learn it. And when we do that, I think it's going to bring about uh, some revolution, a much-needed revolution in our individual relationships with God. And then because it's a communal prayer, that is, there, if you've noticed, there's no first-person singular pronouns in this prayer. Uh, use an, an old phrase, there's no I in prayer. Um, there's no I in the Lord's prayer, at least. Uh, only plural possessive pronouns like us and we. Um, so because it's a communal prayer, we might just experience a revolution in the life and mission of the church as well. And by the way, let me let me just say this uh, other thing. We're, you may have seen this on Facebook this week on our Facebook page, but we're beginning a new practice, or actually we're renewing an old practice uh, here at LifePoint on Sunday mornings. Uh, during both services, there will be people praying uh, for you and for what's going on in this building, what's going on in the classrooms and, and uh, in the hallways and back at the hospitality table and at the door. People, so they're meeting. The symbolism of this is kind of bad, but, but they're praying in in-school suspension room right down the hall. <laughs> And as Bill Michael said, when he was a student, when he was in detention, he prayed. He prayed. <laughs> so it might be a good place to pray. I don't know. It might be a bad place to pray. But, but uh, during both services, uh, from every Sunday from now on, it's be led by our elders. And uh, I hope that some of you will, will take that opportunity. There's nothing more important that we can do than pray uh, in the advancement of the kingdom of God. And uh, we can do lots of things, but if we don't pray... Uh, we've missed it. So let's stand and let's read this scripture together as is our tradition here. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is God's word. You may be seated. Well, this morning we've come in verse 11 to the first of three man-centered petitions. I'll explain what that means in just a moment. Our prayer requests, if you prefer, that form the second half of this pattern prayer. Give us this day our daily bread, verse 11. You know, a lot of uh, Christ followers uh, employ a simple acrostic as a guide to prayer and it's the acrostic that forms the word ACTS, A-C-T-S. Uh, you may have heard of this. You may have utilized it yourself. Each of the letters stands for one of the key elements in prayer. Uh, letter A, for example, stands for adoration or worship, praise. 
Uh, C stands for confession of sin. Uh, T is thanksgiving. And then S is supplication, a word that we don't usually use in our daily language. It's an old English word from the King James Version of the Bible, but it's when we talk to God about our request, we ask him for the things that we need. This acrostic reminds us of the basic elements of prayer. And like the Lord's Prayer, it offers a, a sequential order of priority to those elements. So in this model, this, uh, this particular model of act, the first element of prayer is, as I said, is adoration or praise. And that's where the Lord's Prayer begins as well, um, as, uh, as the first three petitions have to do with hallowing his name, welcoming his kingdom, submitting to his will for our lives. And, and then secondly, prayer should include confession of sin. And, and when we come into his holy presence, we are made aware of our sin, are we not? And we think about uh, God as a holy God. And there are instances in the, throughout the Bible of people having um, visions of, of God in his holiness and in his majesty. And, and in each of those occasions, they're like undone and the, because they think, I've seen God, I've, I've encountered, I'm in the presence of the, the absolute holiness of God, and I'm going to die <laughs> because I'm a sinful person. Um, so when we come into his presence, we're reminded that we've fallen short of his righteous standard. Uh, and we will continue to do that until the day that we die. And so we are in need of his grace. We are in need of his forgiveness always. Third, when we pray, we should always give thanks, uh, remembering his grace, his mercy toward us through Christ and, and his graciousness to us, his generosity toward us. Fourth prayer includes that word supplication, which I mentioned a moment ago, or petition, which means bringing our requests for our own needs and the needs of others to God. And, and that's what asking for our daily bread is really all about. So as we look at this today, uh, give us this day our daily bread, we're talking about this fourth dimension of supplication. And I think it's a helpful acrostic for remembering both the basic elements of prayer, the order of priority in our prayer, but here's what I've observed, and it's kind of troubling, it's a little bit concerning, um, it's that we've gotten the letters mixed up, so there's no longer acts, instead it spells something now like scat. <laughs> Which, which is, you know, has all kinds of connotations, right? So what do I mean by that? Well, a lot of times when I'm leading a, a prayer gathering, group of people that have come together to pray, I'll use that ACTS formula to lead the prayer gathering. And, and so first I'll invite participants to enter into a time of that letter A, adoration, worship, praise to the Lord. And, and here's what almost always happens. Uh, it's mostly an awkward period of silence. <laughs> it's kind of interspersed with some weak, brief attempts at verbalizing something that, that approximates praise and worship. Same thing happens with confession, right? Because we all know we don't want to do that out loud, and I'll usually let people do that to their relief silently anyway, right? So, and then comes Thanksgiving, and it begins to kind of increase, crescendo starts to starts to build and then when we hit s for supplication where we ask god for for what we want and what we need then everybody's kind of into the game finally right and and everybody gets really verbal and that's why i said that we actually spell it scat because we're most practiced in asking for things so we put supplication first 
no one would actually admit to doing it that way because the word has other meanings, right? And because we don't really want to admit that we have not cultivated in our own prayer lives adoration uh, or confession or, for that matter, thanksgiving, except maybe before meals as regular parts of our prayer lives. I mean, we just dive in, don't we? I mean, you come to prayer. I mean, I do it too. I mean, the first thing we do is like, look, here's what I need. Here's what I want you to do for me. Here's the jam I want you to get me out of. Here's the complexity of my life that I'd like you to simplify. You know, help, help. I'm up here all alone, you guys. You you resonate with that? Okay, just dying up here. And teaching his disciples to pray, Jesus began by giving them a way to address God, which is our Father in heaven. He wanted them to relate to God as Father. And then he gave them three, what we've been calling God-centered petitions. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Those three, God-centered. It's all about your name, your kingdom, your will. And then the focus of the prayer shifts from the glory of God and his kingdom to a focus on how we ought to pray for uh, the issues of our own lives. And uh, Jesus gave them three man-centered petitions. That's the phrase we've been using in this series, just man-centered. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So today, as I mentioned, we've come to the first of those man-centered petitions. Give us this day our daily bread. I've had an ESV study Bible on my desk for a long time. Most often I'm using my computer for my, you know, my Bible study. And, And that beautiful ESV study Bible just sits there on my desk. But I'm discovering the study notes in the ESV study Bible, which are rich. Um, but here's, the, here's the, the, the note on verse 11. The fourth petition focuses on the disciples' daily bread, a necessity of life which by implication includes all of the believers' daily physical needs. Accurate, but not entirely accurate. Because what I want to say this morning is that the primary focus is not on our daily bread. The first focus of this portion of the prayer, excuse me, is on the nature of our Heavenly Father as the generous provider of all that we need. That's the focus. Because remember, we began with our Father, we're talking to Him. Our Heavenly Father is a generous provider. And if we could just grasp that, we could just all go home today. Except I have a few more things to say. But we don't always think of God as a generous provider. We don't often think of some of us of, of, of God as generous at all. Jesus began this prayer by teaching us to address God as our Father, but he's not everybody's Father, is he? 
in our general culture, we like to say, and I heard somebody say it again just the other day, well, we're all God's children. Well, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that he is the father of all who have believed in his son and who have experienced the rebirth that the Spirit brings in the lives of those who do. Jesus taught his disciples to pray confidently, our Father in heaven, give us. And I was looking at that this week and I thought, he didn't even say, he didn't even teach him to say please. Will you please? He just says, our Father in heaven, give us, give us this day our daily bread. And I want to say this, I, I think that there's a, a permission for presumptuousness. That's probably an extreme statement. But give us sounds pretty extreme. I mean, if my son came to me and said, Dad, give me, I'd say, what? <laughs> Jesus uses this, give us, give us. Next chapter over, Matthew 7, verses 7 through 11, Jesus says this, and is familiar to some of you, but listen, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And of course, it's an argument from the lesser to the greater. If you who are sinful, who are flawed, who are self-centered, demonstrate the capacity for generosity to your children, sometimes of, of even a truly magnanimous nature. How much more? How much more will your Father in heaven, who is perfectly holy, perfectly loving, perfectly wise, the owner of everything, give good gifts, good things to those who ask him? I don't know about you, but, but every now and then when I, I'll come back to a passage that has been familiar to me for a long time, this is one of them, and I'll see something new. And my thought this time as I read this was, what kind of twisted person, when his son asks him for bread, gives him a stone? Really? Dad, can I have some Dave's killer bread? Nah, here's a rock. Just suck on that for a while. You know, if, if we actually heard somebody do that, we'd think, what kind of sick person are you? <laughs> Truly, right? I mean, we hear some wild things about what happens in homes. So, so then the second picture is, Dad, can I have a fish? Could we have fish for dinner? Hey, I got something for you, son. It's in this burlap bag. Just reach inside, it's yours. What kind of sick person does that? So Jesus is painting a really weird picture. I mean, we just kind of read over these things and 
la-di-da, as we read over them. But he says, look, you're evil. You're sinful. You got problems. Your families are messed up. But, it, but still, you find it in your heart, occasionally at least, to be really generous to your kids, to do good things for them. How much more will your heavenly Father, who's got it all together and who owns everything, how much more? Will he give good things to those who ask him? This petition asks a foundational question, and I I want you to get this because this is the heart of what I'm trying to say today. Are you living in independence from God or in dependence on God as a child of your heavenly Father? Are you living in independence from God? I think because I know it's true sometimes in my own life that I live in independence from God, even though I claim to be a Christ follower, a pastor for Pete's sake, right? But I can live in functional independence from God. Am I living in independence from God or in dependence on God as a child of my Heavenly Father? One of, the, one of our problems, one of the problems each of us faces is that uh, we have bought into the lie that Satan uh, Uh, sold Adam and Eve in the garden. We don't really believe that God is generous. We don't really believe that he's more than willing but just waiting to provide abundantly for us. And so we don't act on it. We we often believe exactly what Adam and Eve believe, that God's kind of not really for us. He's actually against us. He's trying to keep us down. Haddon Robinson provides a great illustration of this dilemma. He he writes this, when our children were small, we played a game. I'd take some coins in my fist and then the kids would sit on my lap and work to get my fingers open. According to the international rules of finger opening, Once the finger was open, it couldn't be closed again. They would work at it until they got the pennies out of my hand. And then they would jump up and down, run away with glee and delight. Just kids, just a game. Sometimes, he writes, when we come to God, we come for the pennies in his hand. Lord, I need a passing grade. Help me study. Lord, I need a job. Lord, my mother is ill. We reach for the pennies. When God grants the request, we push the hand away. But more important than the pennies in God's hand is the hand of God himself. That's what prayer is about. When you go to God in prayer, the name that should come easily to your lips is Father, Abba, Daddy. Because we are his dependent children. God has so much more to give us than pennies. And we don't have to pry his fingers open, even though we think sometimes we do, to receive what he has for us because of this, that he loves, 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 loves us. Notice that Jesus didn't say, let us earn our daily bread. He said, give us this day our daily bread. I mean, how, how many of you, your kids get up in the morning and say, Mom, could I buy a bowl of cereal this morning? I mean, how much is a banana? How? Or they get up and say, 
is there, is there any jobs I could do for you this morning so I can eat? You'd probably say, yeah. <laughs> yes, sir. I got a list right here. Now, that wouldn't be your heart, would it? I mean, you'd say, you don't have to work for your meals. I love you. You're, you're my kid. You're part of this family. Nevertheless, there is a synergistic relationship between his provision and our effort. Uh, Prayer is not averse to personal participation and bringing about the answers to our prayers for God's provision. I mean, he he invites us to get involved. Um, For example, I I think when, when Jesus told his disciples, pray the Lord of harvest to send workers into his harvest field because the the harvest is ripe and rotting on the vine. We need workers. We need them now. I don't think he meant for the disciples just kind of hang back and pray, right? I mean, he wanted them to get involved. First Timothy 5.8, anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So get involved. He wrote to the church in Thessalonica. They, they were kind of into this thing. Well, Jesus is coming back, so, so let's put on robes and go sit on a hillside and wait for him to return. That was kind of the mindset that was growing in the church in Thessalonica. And, and Paul said to them, if anyone's not willing to work, neither let him eat. So prayer, like God's grace, is opposed to earning God's favor. We come and we say, give us this day our daily bread. We're to pray for his provision daily. That phrase, our daily bread, means literally the bread of our necessity. And I love that phrase, the, the bread of our necessity, or bread that, that fits the unique demands of this day, not any other day, but this day. It speaks to sufficiency now, having enough now. And it occurs to me in that that praying this petition may seem foreign to our first world experience as, as Westerners, as, especially as Americans. I mean, we have a tendency in this modern age not to live from day to day in terms of the things we need to eat. We stock up on food. Uh, we have refrigerators and freezers that extend the life of our food, keep it fresh. We have preservatives. Woohoo! And we have Costco, right? Big. We come out of Costco, it's crazy at Costco, right? Look around what people are buying. So it's not our custom to face each new day with the anxiety that comes from the awareness of a daily need to again find fresh food to sustain us. I remember a friend that uh, I, I made a, a, a short-term mission trip years ago to Ukraine, and, and the guy that I stayed with there in Ukraine, he and his wife, uh, he came over and visited us, and he was in our home, and I was with him when we went to Costco. And his eyes just went, Wah. The abundance. So it may seem foreign to our first world experience, but we have a powerful need to pray it anyway. Or I might say we have a powerful need to pray it because it's foreign to our first world experience. In our affluence, we need to pray this regularly, sincerely, 
thoughtfully in order to remind ourselves, to remind each other of the reality of our daily dependence on the provision of God to sustain our very lives. Because we can nurture the illusion that we've, we are, we are self-sufficient. We have all the props around us to nurture that illusion. But if you've ever known someone who went through a major sudden crisis where they lost it all, very suddenly, you know, maybe it's you, you know that that illusion can go away in a heartbeat. I doubt that the emphasis Jesus put on the dailiness of our need for bread had anything to do with the lack of preservatives in their bread in those days, nor their lack of refrigeration. I think he taught his disciples and us today to pray for our daily bread as a powerful reminder of our need to acknowledge our dependence on the provision of God to sustain us day by day. He wanted us to grasp that truth. Some of Jesus' words the source of Jesus' words here may, may be from Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9, where the, the writer of the Proverbs says, Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Jesus instructed us to pray for our daily bread. You may know the story from the Bible or you, maybe you saw the Prince of Egypt or maybe you saw the Ten Commandments of Charlton Heston. Um, but Moses, Old Testament figure, God called him to lead the children of Israel, the Israelites, out of slavery in Egypt. It's a historical event. It's not a mythological tale. In Exodus 16... They're a month and a half out of Egypt. They set out from Elam, it says, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin. Isn't that that an interesting name, the wilderness of Sin? Which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. If ever there was an illustration of the phrase, how quickly they forget, this is it. A month and a half... When God spoke to Moses the first time, he said, I have heard the cry of my people Israel. And they were in bitter slavery. They were, it was the ultimate oppression in Egypt. There weren't meat pots that they sat by. And they didn't eat their bread to the full. But somehow, in a month and a half, their whole memory of things had changed. Verse 4, then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So that was preparation for the Sabbath. Verse 6, so Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, at evening, 
You shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. If they didn't know it already after ten plagues in the Red Sea. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. And then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. You know, if I heard the leader say that, You guys all come near before the Lord, he's heard your grumbling, I'd be at the back of the crowd. You know, I'm not going to be right up front. I'm going to, I'm going to be hanging back if the Lord's heard my grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you, sh- then you shall know, then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. <laughs> really? In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp. They just flew in and died. Pretty awesome. In the morning, dew dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. Frosted flakes. (laughs) When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it each one of you as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer, which was a, uh, in those days a a measure, a a unit of dry measurement, according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. So five children, five omers. And the people of Israel did so. They They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much, had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. Now just a quick overview of that. First of all, the people are grumbling against Moses and Aaron. In a month and a half, they've forgotten how bad their circumstances really had been when they were slaves in Egypt. Uh, They thought it would have been better if God had just killed them there in Egypt than to die of starvation in the wilderness. You and I are just like them. Uh, Do you want me to go further on that? Uh, Moses warned them saying that their grumbling was, was not really against him and Aaron. I mean, the, Moses tried to get out of the deal in the first place. He says, you know, send somebody else. I don't want to do this. But their grumbling was against the Lord, and the Lord had heard their grumbling. Now, if I had been the Lord, and it's a good thing I'm not, you know, I, I just squished him like a bug right there. You know, I'm sick of hearing it. But God is... Patient, right? And kind. And merciful. And gracious. And abounding in loving kindness. And so here's what he says. Get an umbrella and get a bucket. Because I'm about to rain down food from heaven. So each day when they woke up, they would find this fine flaky thing that looked like frost on the ground. Frosted flakes for breakfast. And at first they asked, what is it? What is it? And Moses said, it's the bread the Lord's given you to eat. And and in time, they just called it 
manna, which literally means, what is it? That's what manna means. What is it? It's a question. And they were to collect it daily. Anything that was kept overnight, except on the weekend, except on the Sabbath, would be rotten the next day. They had to collect it daily. And then the Lord added quail to their menu each evening, foie gras. So they had manna in the morning and quail in the evening. And verses 17 and 18 remind us that then just as now, there are high capacity gatherers who gather more and there are low capacity gatherers who gather gatherers who gather less but God provided for every one of them let me read verses 17 and 18 again they gathered some more some less but when they measured it with an omer whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack each of them gathered as much as he could eat. God provided perfectly for each of them. We, the total sufficiency of God's provision. He knows what we need, he knows how much we need, and he knows when we need it. See, bread symbolized God's provision of all of our needs. And that includes money. Back in the 60s and 70s, bread was a euphemism for money. Remember that? Hey, dude, got some bread? I was quite young in those days. But the Lord intended us to understand bread in terms of the full spectrum of our needs. Money, water, shelter, clothing, medical care, security, protection, and more. Might even add retirement to that list. And just a, just a few verses later in chapter 6, beginning of verse 25, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what, she, what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, those who don't know God, seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, all these things, all the things you're anxious about. What are you anxious about today? All those things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. 
See, our, our Heavenly Father does not want us to live in anxiety about our basic needs. Heard a story about uh, the time that the ceasefire agreement went into effect between the United Nations and North Korea in 1953. Uh, South Korea was left with a large number of orphaned children as, as many military conflicts through the year uh, has, have produced. Uh, in the case of Korea, relief agencies came in to deal with all of the problems that arose in connection with having so many orphaned children. One of the people involved in the relief effort uh, told about a problem that they encountered with the children who were in the orphanages. Even though the children were, uh, were eating three meal, meals a day provided by the relief agencies, at night when they, were, when they were trying to settle down and go to sleep, they were restless, they were anxious. They had difficulty sleeping. And as they talked to the children about that, they, they soon discovered that the children had incredible anxiety over whether they would have food the next day. And so to help resolve the problems, the, the relief workers in one particular orphanage came up with this brilliant idea. They decided that each night when the children were put down to bed, they would take a slice of bread and put it in the hand of each child. Not for them to eat, but just for them to hold on to. Uh, to be held by them as they went to sleep, like a security blanket, reminding them that there would be provision for their daily needs. And remarkably, the, the bread, just having the bread in their hand, calmed them and helped them go to sleep. Paul wrote to the believers in Philippi, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Psalmist wrote, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is fixed on you. Jesus invites us to ask humbly. But he also asks us to invite, or to, invites us to ask boldly for all that we need from day to day. This is not a license for greed. This is not sanctified excess. Not name it and claim it or blab it and grab it. This is coming to your heavenly father and asking for what you need. He already knows. He invites you to ask. James wrote, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures, your, your illicit purposes and goals. This is really about sincere dependency on God. There was a day when Jesus was speaking with some of the Pharisees, the religious elite of the day, and, and they said to him, then 
What sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? And the question they're asking had to do with the Old Testament law regarding prophets, that, that what a prophet predicted had to come true, or, or he had to give some miraculous sign to demonstrate the truth of his claim. They said, Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, the religious elite, the Pharisees, they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. See, the ultimate satisfaction in life comes not from having lots of stuff. The ultimate satisfaction in life, the ultimate nourishment, the ultimate security comes from being in a right relationship with God through personal faith in Jesus Christ. So I come back to the question that we began with. Are you living in independence from God or independence on God? Are you living in independence from God or independence on God? It's a question only you can answer, but answer it you must. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 37, verse 25, I was young and now I am old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. Your heavenly Father knows what you need before you ask him. So come, come to him. Father in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your table today, we are reminded that you are the bread of life, that the bread that symbolizes your body symbolizes your own sacrifice, your submission to the will of the Father, your intent to establish your kingdom that will endure forever. And we're reminded that because you gave your body and because you shed your blood for us, that, that we have security now, we have hope, confidence of eternal life. God, would you speak that into our hearts, that we would grasp it, that we would understand that you, God, are a gracious heavenly Father, that you, Jesus, are the bread of life. We pray it in your name. Amen.